If you uh, have a copy of God's Word with you, I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to be reading there in chapter 5 this morning, Ephesians. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. This is not going to be a sermon about marriage this morning. This is the first sermon in a series that uh, Kent is going to be uh, leading you through here, the church and on the church, and looking particularly at the church. And this is the first in this series. So while we're reading a passage that may sound very practical in nature in regard to marriage, as we read this, I want you to pay closer attention to what it says about the church and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This ends the reading of God's word, but he had his blessing now upon the hearing and preaching of his word. I want to talk to you this morning about the church, and I want to talk to you particularly about the idea of the church, and what I think is really God's main idea that he has about this church. We have all kinds of ideas about the church, but I want to talk this morning about what God's idea about the church is, and this is his idea, and this is the main idea that I want to share with you this morning. The church is the bride of Christ that he loves. The church is the bride of Christ that he loves. So I want to talk about that idea this morning. I want to talk about, first of all, this big idea that the church is the bride of Christ. And then I want to talk about how how the Christ, Jesus Christ, loves this bride and how we can respond to this love. So let's talk about this first main, big, profound idea that the church is the bride of Christ. You see it here in the text. If you go down to the last verses that we read, 
Paul quotes in verse 31, he quotes from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24, when God created and instituted marriage. And as Paul is thinking back on what Moses penned in those uh, words to God's people long ago, thousands of years ago, he understands that in the mind of God, that in the idea of God, that while he was instituting marriage, he was really talking about Christ and his church. He says it this way, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. When he talks about a husband and a wife, he talks about a wife being given to the husband and them there, that then becoming a union, a one flesh union. He's saying, yes, that is marriage. But Paul is saying, there's something more profound here than that. There's something deeper here than that. That in the mind of God, when he instituted marriage, he wanted it to be a drama, a playing out, a picture of the reality of his idea of his relationship to the church. The church is the bride of Christ. He says it more explicitly in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. There it is. The husband loves his wife. The husband is married to the wife. He loves the wife. There is this reality understood in the way that Christ loves his church. The church is then the bride of Christ. This is the first Idea. This is the main idea. Marriage is just a picture of this idea. You know how when you go to a wedding, and oftentimes in the wedding, not oftentimes, but all the time in a wedding, rings are exchanged, right? And oftentimes the person who's officiating the wedding talks about those, those rings, and he, in the giving of the rings or before the giving of the rings, they say something like, you know, this ring is a symbol. It's a symbol of this inviolable union between this man and this woman. It's a symbol of their unity, right? It's something that points to the reality. But how many people do you know who have lost their wedding band? who have lost a ring or whose fingers have gotten too large for the ring that they first put on there and they have to have it cut off. Or, or some men might work in places where if they wore their ring, uh, it, would be in, it would endanger them in their workplace and they don't wear it. But just because the symbol might get lost or the symbol is not worn doesn't mean that the reality is not still there in the relationship that union between the man and the woman. You see, the, the ring is just a symbol pointing to the reality. It's The ring is not the main idea. The main idea is the union between that man and that woman. And here, that's the, that's the idea that God wants to get across to us. Marriage is really not the main idea. Marriage can only be understood if we understand what the main idea really is. 
And the main idea is that the church is the bride of Christ. Paul is saying, this has been God's idea. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5, he says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. It has been God's idea. And at the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 21, it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. This is the church. This is how John writes about the church. This is what he saw. He saw the church as a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. There's the imagery. The church prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the main idea. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in John chapter 17, where Jesus is praying what we call his great high priestly prayer. And one word is repeated numerous times in that prayer. As Jesus prays to the Father, he keeps repeating this idea in the phrase, those you have given me. Those you have given me. He says, I haven't lost any of those that you have given me. What's the idea behind that phrase? When we go to a wedding, what does the officiant say? Who gives this woman, right? That's the language that Jesus is using about his disciples that have been given to him as his church, about those who will believe through the disciples preaching the apostolic message of the gospel are those who are given to him. He understands his role as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. You see, this is the idea that he wants us to have about the church. Why? Because ideas have consequences. We talk all of the time about making good choices. Why? Because your choices and the actions that follow those choices have consequences, right? But we talk very rarely about our ideas having consequences. But our ideas are as important as our choices and our actions. God gives us ideas that have incredible consequences, but when we have bad ideas about the church, those have consequences as well, don't they? We have ideas about the church like, well, the church, when I think about the church, the church is a building. It's a place that I go. And so what do we begin to do? We begin to attach ourselves to that building, to that place, to the, to the fixtures that are in that building. And we, we can't have life without that, we feel. That brings deadening effects upon the church. Sometimes we have the idea that the church is a place of belonging. It's a place where I have meaningful relationships. It's a place where I'm connected to people that I love. And what happens? Well, there's a visible messiness to those relationships, aren't they? 
And sometimes there's separation and sometimes there's leaving and sometimes there's division. And, and when our main idea is about the church being a place of belonging, then we get disenchanted with it, don't we? Maybe we think about the church as, as a business. It's a place, it's a model for success, it's a model for accomplishment, it's a model for making our mark in, in the culture, in our community where we are. And so we run it accordingly, we run it according to our, our best practice models. And we run it into the ground. And we run over people in the process. Maybe the church, maybe your idea of the church or my idea of the church might be that it's a club. You pay your dues to a club and what do you get when you pay your dues? You, you get the services rendered, right? You get your, your expectations met. I've never belonged to a, a country club, but I have this idea that if I belong to a country club and I've I paid my dues and I went to go swim at the pool and the pool was dirty, I'd be upset. Or if I went to have dinner at the country club and my steak was supposed to be cooked medium rare and it came out well done, I would be upset. I'd send it back because after all, I've paid my what? Dues. We do the same thing with the church. Maybe we have the idea that the church is a community center. Church is a community center out of which this community should be changed. And all good should be done for this community out of this church. Church is not a community center. It's the bride of Christ. He will do with her in a community whatever he wills. Maybe we think of the church as a cruise. Have you seen this commercial where people go on cruises? Man, it's bright and colorful and beautiful and everybody's smiling and everybody looks beautiful and looks like they're just great fun things to do all of the time. It looks amazing. I'm not one who would want to spend my 10 days on a boat, but you know, that's for other people. But what do we expect on a cruise? We expect to be entertained. We expect to be entertained. We expect to have our needs met and our children's needs met. We expect to have the right music, the right kind of preaching we like, the right kind of building we want to be in, the people to be the kind of people that we want to be around. these ideas about the church are ideas that at one point in time or maybe even presently we share. They're bad ideas. And they have bad consequences. So here the scripture comes to us and says this mystery is profound. But what I'm talking about here is Christ and his church. The church is the bride of Christ. 
How many of you have heard the phrase, church hurt? Maybe you've never heard the phrase, but maybe you've experienced it. If you've been around the church long enough, you will if you haven't. The idea of the church can be a place that hurts us. Because there's a visible messiness to the church, then there's going to be visible hurt. And so when we think about the church that way, when we have that idea about the church, then we can become embittered to the church. We can become indifferent to the church. We can become as those that have no place for the church. Just give me Jesus and that's enough. But as one of our early church fathers said, you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. Why not? Because of this grand idea that the church is the bride of Christ. And how can the, this beautiful idea have beautifying effects? How can this beautiful, beautiful idea of Christ being the head of his church, his bride, have beautifying consequences? We need to think upon this idea. The apostle Paul, in, earlier in Ephesians, in chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, is praying for the church, and he prays for the church that we might know the height and the depth and the length and the width and the love that God has for us. And that the answer to that prayer, the consequence of that prayer being answered in our lives is that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. How more beautiful is that? And so what does Paul tell us here? That the church is the bride of Christ that he loves. It's an idea that we need to spend a lot of time thinking about this profound mystery. It's not a mystery that can never be traced out. It's a mystery in the sense that it's always to be discovered. So he says the church is the bride of Christ that he loves. In verse 25, he loved the church. It doesn't mean that now that the Palmetto Presbytery has formed a church, particular per church plant here in Batesburg, Leesville, that, that now he looks upon it and goes, oh, that's something good. I will love those people. No, when Paul says he loved the church, he's talking about you who have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who are a part of his body, his church. And he's not saying that he set his love upon you because you believed upon him. He's saying that he loved you from before you ever knew him. He foreloved you. In love, he predestined you to be made beautiful in Jesus Christ. That's what it says in chapter one. And so, here Paul can say that he loved the church. Eternal love that he has for you and for me. 
And that love that he had for her causes him to give himself for her. That's what he says in verse 25. He gave himself up for her. He died for her. He became as a man, having given up all of the prerogatives that he had to glory, all of that he treasured in his relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit from all eternity, all of that perfect, undefiled love relationship and perfect unity, Jesus left that to become a man, to be born in the flesh, to become a suffering servant to the point of death because he loved you, because he loves his bride. He gave himself up for her. When Persia was a ruling empire and Cyrus was king of Persia, he had a general in one of his armies and his general was out doing what generals do. And while he was, his wife was arrested for treachery and imprisoned by those in the kingdom under Cyrus's rule. And she was bound in prison and she was facing death. And her husband, the general, didn't know this, but he found out about it through some different course of events. So he came back to the capital city where she was, where she was held in prison. And he burst into the throne room, Cyrus's throne room. And he pleaded with Cyrus, please do not take my wife's life. I give myself in place of her. I will die for her. Take my life instead of hers. And Cyrus, looking upon this dramatic unfolding before his eyes, lifted his eyes up and he said, how can such love be blind? How can such love want to give himself like this? And looking upon the beauty of that, he let his wife go free. And as they were leaving, and he was, before he was going to be chained and imprisoned in her place and put to death in her place, he, he turned to her and he, he said, the husband, the general said to his wife, did you see the kindness in Cyrus's eyes? when he set you free. And she said, how could I, when I was looking upon the face of a man who loved me and was willing to give himself for me? Jesus suffered your guilt for your sin. Jesus suffered the shame 
of your guilt for your sin. Jesus suffered the anguish of your death under the wrath of God for you. Jesus gave himself in your place, condemned he stood, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Gave himself for his bride. Look down in verse 30 and 32. He unites himself to her. That's what Paul's talking about, about a, a man loving his wife as he does his own body. Why? Because she's united to him. She's one with him. And that's what he's talking about in verse 31 from Genesis chapter 2. And so in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. He's saying that Jesus so loves his bride that he unites himself to her. And what that means is that nothing can ever separate you from the love that he has for you. It's an inviolable union. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And nothing as hard as you can think of in this life would ever separate you from that love that he has for you. As he loves himself, and he loves himself in a way that is unbelievably beautiful. He has to. He's the most glorious being. He's God. He loves the glory of himself. To do anything else would be unholy. And so in his love that he has for you, he has that same holy love. Uniting himself to you. Look at verse 26. In this love that he has for his bride, he sanctifies and cleanses you. This means that he, he sets you apart for his special purposes, for his life to become your life. Not for your best life to become your life, but for his most beautiful and glorious, holy and righteous life to become your life. If you want love, it's his love you want. If you want goodness, it's his goodness you want. And he is giving you that by cleansing you from all the impurities that are in you, that defile you, that are in your heart and in your whole being. The kind of things that come out of your mouth when you say, where'd that come from? I didn't even know that was down there. He's cleansing you. This morning, he's washing you. He's setting you apart with his word. He's given you this beautiful gift as your husband, the Holy Spirit, to make sure that the work that he's begun in you, he's going to bring to completion. And that's what he says in verse 27. He does this sanctifying cleansing work so that he can present you to himself holy. Beautiful, a bride adorned for her husband in fine linen. And you know what that fine linen is? His righteousness. 
where he will present you before himself and the Father and the Holy Spirit forevermore, and there'll be no more shame. There'll be no more hiding. You will be perfectly known and perfectly enjoyed in all that he knows about you. And in the beauty of those garments that he dresses you in that are his own, he will invite you to come and sit down with him at a table and you will feast with him. And then you know what you'll do? You'll get up from the table and you'll dance. And you won't fumble when you dance. You'll walk and dance in perfect rhythm in his glorious grace. Why? Look at verse 29. Because the beautifying consequences of his love are that he nourishes and cherishes you. He nourishes and cherishes you. From heaven, he came to sought her, to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her, and for her life, he died. The church is the bride of Christ that he loves. Walter Trogrish writes of this love in this way. As a husband, Christ, for his bride, you, his church. He says, you, 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 I love alone. You shall reign in my heart. You are the one I've longed for. Without you, I'm incomplete. I will give everything for you, and I will give up everything for you. Myself, as well as all that I possess. I will love you alone, and I will work for you alone, and I will wait for you. I will never force you, not even by my words. I want to guard you, protect you, and keep you from all evil. I want to share with you all my thoughts, my heart, my body, all that I possess. I want to listen to what you have to say. I want to remain always with you, never leave or forsake you, and let nothing separate you from my love. <laughs> Do you deserve this? Do I deserve this? No. We're like the adulteress Harlot, Gomer, who have given our way, given ourselves away, and our hearts to all kinds of sin, to all kinds of other husbands, hoping to get our needs met, hoping to be loved, hoping to be known, hoping to come into a dance that we would enjoy, hoping to be beautified and yet to be found like her standing on a slave block in nakedness 
and filth and shame. And God says to Hosea, her husband, go and get her in love. Why? Because he said earlier to his adulterous people, I betrothed myself to you. We don't deserve it. And that's what makes it unbelievably beautifying. It's this idea, it's this idea understood, it's this idea thought upon, it's this idea experienced, it's this idea that changes his church. Where does the courage come to give our lives for the sake of Christ and his church? Where does the patience come from to live with one another with grace and forgiveness? Where does the humility come from to make us a people who will accept others that are different than ourselves? This idea of the church being the bride of Christ has this kind of consequence. Let you in on a little secret. I'd rather do a funeral than a wedding. People are a little more sober at funerals and thinking about things and a little clearer reality. But I've done some weddings. And I've stood in this place or down here and watched a bride and the doors being opened and the bride standing in the doorway and everybody's attention turning to the beautiful bride there. And they're always beautiful. But here's an idea that I want to ask you to try next time you go to a wedding. Instead of turning all your attention that way with everybody else to the bride when the doors are open, turn your attention on the groom that's standing in here. What's happening with him? What's he doing? I've done that a few times. And I've seen things like big smile. I've seen things like knees starting to knock. I've, I've seen tears actually coming out of men's eyes. Those salty things. I've seen young men and older men, because I've done some older men's weddings too, where they are ravished with the beauty of that bride. Here's the point. That's Jesus. And that's you. When you look through the corridors of your salvation, if you look down the aisles to your salvation and see that you are one who is saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone as a sinner, who is now made right before God through the grace, the justifying grace and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus standing, delighting himself in you. This bright and beautiful smile with tears streaming down his eyes over this glorious bride that he's bringing home to himself.
There's the emblem of it. There's the symbol of it. Next time you walk in this church on a Sunday morning, don't, ladies, go get your, your gowns, your, your wedding gowns, but come as you are. But when you stand at that door and those doors are open wide, think of your Lord Jesus Christ delighting himself in you, calling you his beloved into his presence. The bride of Christ is what the church is. It's the church he loves. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord God, we do thank you for this beautiful idea. And I pray that it would have its beautifying effects on our lives in this particular church. And pray in Jesus' name. Amen.